You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your cruise director, Doug Thorpe, and it's a pleasure to be back with you today. In the world of emerging AI and assessment tools and all things uh, performance-oriented, I've got a guest today who's going to help us unpack a lot of that and find better, more efficient ways to think about assessment and learning from observations. I'm borrowing some of his words here. His name is Projala Gatak. He's uh, actually living in Singapore. And uh, uh, well, I'm going to just stop there and say welcome to the show, Projal. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, as is a bit of a custom here. I always like my guests to kind of unpack a bit of a backstory for how you got into and inspired for the work you're doing now. And so tell us your story. Well, thank you. Um, so I, I, I spent the first quarter of my life in Asia. So I was born in India and uh, moved to Singapore uh, initially for university and then spent a few years uh, in Southeast Asia in management consulting. Um, and then sort of moved to North America for a few years, um, did an MBA uh, in California, and then spent some time in early stage companies uh, and finance across Latin America and New York before uh, moving back to Singapore in 2016. Um, and then did a bunch of local, regional, global roles um, at a tech company called Uber um, and sort of saw it through a lot of different phases of growth. Um, and I think one of the most consistent threads throughout my career as a leader has been just the importance of running teams um, and, you know, how little you can do on your own and, and how much more compounded that gets with a team and organization. Um, but I always found myself complaining about the quality of tooling, the quality of processes that we used to both assess as well as develop teams. And so, you know, during my career, we saw the birth of Slack and Trello and Asana and Zoom and all these amazing products that, you know, help people get work done, but but the products to actually make people better were terrible. Um, and that pain was strong enough to go do something about it. And, and that's what gave birth to Onloop. So uh, tell us, in essence, give us the 10,000-foot view of what your platform on loop is about. Yeah, you know, the, the best way we describe ourselves is we're a habit-forming generative AI platform to drive manager and team effectiveness um, in a new hybrid world. Um, and so the term we use a lot is clarity. And it is getting increasingly harder to get day-to-day -day clarity in the workplace. And that clarity was typically sort of done informally through much more serendipitous conversations. Uh, but we've had to come up with a framework that, that puts together people's well-being, people's goals, feedback, both from a celebration perspective, as well as an improvement perspective, as well as continuous growth to sort of devise a way for managers to drive day-to-day -day clarity in the hybrid orgs. Um, and so we've we've had the benefit of being born in the pandemic um, and the pandemics meant a time of super rapid change with a, with a move to remote and hybrid. At the same time, 
um, the real sort of, you know, mainstream uh, adoption of generative AI products. Uh, and we feel quite lucky to take a lot of this new technology um, and apply it to all topics like goals and feedback that have unfortunately been butchered by terrible products that are clunky and, and make people run away from them. And so uh, we're a brand new retake on um, how people should be high performing in the workplace every day. And uh, as we were standing in the green room, if you want to stand back a little bit, you've got a T-shirt on, and the caption says, "What you you were not born, born to." You weren't born to write performance reviews, and I think everybody will agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are a billion knowledge workers in the world, and the only thing they all hate is performance management. That's and, correct. And, the, and there are very few work workplace practices that are that universally hated, and that's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. And, you know, this whole notion of the uh, old annual performance review has turned into a compliance and legal defense tool. Yes. It, it's not a talent development tool at all. Absolutely. And, and, that, and, and I think smart people see through that and they realize that, okay, here we go again. And, you know, that is the number one runaway number one pain point for managers everywhere. And if, if employees don't like it, compound that 10 or 20x and you've got the manager pain point for their role in producing those. No, you're totally right. And I think in a world where people were in the office five days a week, leaders got away with poor products and poor processes by doing the team development work more informally. Uh, but in a hybrid world, it is that much harder to do it without good technology. And so what we have is a burnt out workforce that's burnt out not because of hard work, but they're burnt out because they don't see a sense of progress. And that's because the progress was usually calibrated informally. And what we've given them is a moldy gym that's called performance management. So think about taking a really obese population and then saying, please go work out, which is the same as, please focus on your goals, please focus on your feedback. And then saying, the only gym in town is dirty and has more than it. And, and no wonder nobody works out. And, and no wonder people hate things like goals and feedback when they're bloody important to do, but the implementation of it has been terrible. So our job is to make people fall back in love with, with things like goals and feedback that are fitness for your team and, and have that sort of coached and trained in a way that is actually fun to do versus a chore to do. Right. <clears throat> so I want to go back to your opening point about the notion of clarity. And yeah. I am all in with that theme. And as my coaching clients will attest, when we start talking about it, I go back to the phrase, it's actually a sales training phrase, but it applies to leadership. And that is a confused mind says no. Mm. So mm. if you have a team and they seem to be doing not much, they seem to just be treading water. It's probably on you as the leader, you have failed to provide clarity for where they need to go. And, and my little, 10 second soapbox message on that is reasonably good employees want to do a good job, 
but if you don't tell them what good is, they're going to do nothing. They're not going to do something wrong because they don't want to do that, but they'll essentially, their default mode will be do nothing while they're waiting on the clarity they need. Yeah, and you know, I'm in the camp of cheering for managers, and I believe no manager shows up and says, I'm going to do a terrible job today. There's, there's, there's not a single person who does that. But it is overwhelming and difficult to keep track of all of the things you have to, especially if you're leading larger and larger teams. And so, which is why we try and make that as simple as possible. So what we're working on right now is, can we sort of summarize everything that's going on into a clarity score? And then can we use that clarity score to tell the manager, actually, these are the next five actions you should take for various team members based on what's going on for them to increase that clarity and, and give them that aid and trust that they have good intent. I think, I think a lot of workplace chatter emanates from not assuming good intent. And we like to believe everybody has good intent when they show up, but we need to convert that intent into action by, by giving the right aid. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I like that framing of the way you put it. People show up with a good intent, but as a leader, you've got to turn that into action. I like, I'm going to borrow that. Uh, it'll be in print again soon, someday. <laughs> nah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, full attribution, of course. But, uh, well, talk a little more about the structure and the the methodology that's in the platform. Yeah. So, you know, um, when we first started the company, um, I, I went and studied, you know, a lot of different ways of looking at feedback at the workplace. I go, I went and studied sort of OKRs, which has obviously been something that's popularized a lot, um, in the last 10 or 20 years. But what we realized is that all of these approaches have taken a very top down perspective on, to your point, either driving compliance or driving a company outcome. But to effectively measure performance, we need to understand the individual and then understand how the individual compounds over time. And, and because we came at the problem with a pain point, which is that the way feedback is done at the workplace sucked, we, we kind of iterated to a point where we came up with this five-layer framework that we call collaborative team development. And, and collaborative team development is a framework for managers to provide day-to-day -day clarity for hybrid teams. And it has, as I said, five layers. The base layer is a layer of well-being. And, and what I've learned sort of, you know, going through my own mental health journey and those of people working with me and for me um, and folks that I've coached over time too, is that if someone's well-being is broken, nothing else matters. And so that sits at the very foundation of performance. And it's it's a performance layer and not a woo-woo, this is a good thing. But if you're flooded or you're burnt out or you're angry, you're not going to be able to perform well. Um, and so understanding that, helping that get better in a trusted way is the base layer. The, the second layer is people's goals. And this is where, you know, I realized that OKRs, are good for companies, terrible for individuals. And so we use a target project skills goals framework in our product, whereby that's also very much continuous. And each person's work is either a target project or a skill. In some people's work, that can be measured easily through targets. In some places, it can't. But for us to effectively assess 
someone's work, all three in cohesion works and clarity on that goal layer is where a lot of teams are struggling today, especially with the pandemic uh, and not being able to effectively iterate at a per person level. The, the next layer that sits on top of that is what we call superpowers. Um, and, and that is sort of in, imbibed and understood by recognition feedback that people get. So we look at frequency of behaviors that come up the most often to then hypothesize what each person's superpowers might be. And actually, one of the misnomers that people make about feedback is that they assume that all feedback is constructive, but actually strengths-based feedback is almost more important than improved feedback. So someone knowing what their three, four, five superpowers are and how that evolves becomes a way to get high performance out of someone because then they can double down on that. The fourth layer is what we call blind spots. And we use the term blind spots very, very deliberately for a few reasons. One is often that's something people don't know. They don't know that they might be intimidating someone. They might just be passionate or they, they don't know that they are, you know, messing up attention to detail because they're trying to move quickly, but that's leaving issues as, as they go by. But getting that feedback from team members in a way that is direct and kind from a radical candor perspective, then becomes guidance for them to grow. Um, and actually, one of the best compliments that we've got from one of our customers is that they started seeing feedback in the organization as guidance and not criticism and realized that by not giving constructive feedback, they were actually doing a disservice right. rather than <clears throat> saving them from it. Uh, and then the fifth and final layer is grow and so continuous learning. And so based on what's happening with your well-being, your goals, your superpowers, your blind spots, we then unlock learn content and other pathways people to develop over time. And so, and, and those are the five layers and that has a very clear hierarchy and we sort of help both take primary input measure and then suggest actions based on what's going on for each team member. So what I'm hearing is a modernized version of the Maslow's hierarchy of need. You, you start at that base layer of wellness and sense of uh, safety and security. And I agree 100% with you when an employee shows up and they're feeling threatened or unsafe, their brain, and, and studies have proven this, their brain is geared and designed to shift into that fight or flight mode for protection yeah. and existence. And the, the mere idea that, you know, my life is being threatened and, and hope, hopefully not literally, but just that psychology of it. The studies tell us that the blood flow in the brain leaves the frontal cortex, and that's where your work happens. So they are metabolically not able to work when they're having problems at that level. And it is so important for leaders to gauge that and sense that periodically because the reality is we all go through those seasons. There, there's challenges. You can have a sick parent or a sick child or a, a, a troubled marriage and you're struggling and things are happening around you and, and the work may be wonderful, but when your personal life is being threatened that way, you can't show up. You can't flip a switch and show up 100% ready to go at work. You can't just switch it off, right? So, and... And what I love is, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Andrew Huberman's work at, at Stanford, and you know he's been doing a lot of work to bring to light mainstream education around what you know 
psychology and neuroscientific impact of the brain is and what it does to your motivation, does that to productivity. So that people understand that this is science. This is not a choice that people switch off and just toughing it out <laughs> is, is not how you deal with, with anxiety and depression and, and, and stressors. And so, you know, I've gone through my own journey evolving this, you know, I grew up in a family where you didn't necessarily spoke a lot about emotions and, and sort of mental health. Um, and, you know, I've really embraced how important that is to performance science, um, and, and thinking about performance of teams. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, moving forward then up the, up the pyramid there, it, as, as you layer in, does the, the platform help assess the, the journey up and down that pyramid? Yeah. And so, you know. I tell people on loops and opinion product has an opinion of what is right and what is wrong. So for example, we think that people having up to eight goals and three high priority goals is optimal, right? And that, that means that they're stressed the right way. Now, if it's lower than that, that's not zero, but it's somewhere in between. Now, if someone is updating their medium priority goals and not their high priority goals, that's also suboptimal, right? And, and so what we try and do to the clarity score is get much more granular around you know, pushing people to where they will have the most impact uh, and sort of nudging them a little bit in that direction and helping to keep track of where the focus should be. And so if you have nine direct reports, you, you can't really track their well-being consistently. It's a one person's signaling that they're tired, addressing that is more important and that becomes a more critical activity to undertake versus giving someone constructive feedback who's doing really well. And so, so we, we help sort of think about what's the right hierarchy of actions for each individual to take based on what's going on in their pyramid. And then for a manager to take based on what's going on in the pyramid of each of the team members. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to assume anything about the platform, but what I, what I would like to do is talk about some fundamental leadership principles that have, have become I think more popular, or at least people are willing to entertain and become slightly more aware of them. And that is this whole notion of, of setting goals, setting aspirational direction for each individual employee does come down a bit to having a discussion about expectation. You know, and uh, I, I actually did a show last year with a guest and we talked about the idea that expectation alone is not enough. You have to also introduce the notion of obligation. Mm. You know, mm. so, so if I may just role play for a moment, if I'm your boss and I say, Projal, tell me about your expectations here at XYZ company. You know, what is it you think you're wanting to achieve? And, and generally employees can with enough prompting and enough opportunity, they'll tell you that they'll, they'll have that answer. But then yeah. if you add to it, okay, I can, I can embrace that. What's your sense of obligation? What do you think you need to do to make that happen? Mm. That's a discussion that does not happen in most places. So I'll, I'll, I'll share something with you and, and maybe this will sound radical. Maybe it won't. Um, most companies use, an expectations-based rating scale, which I think is the worst <laughs> and nobody should use it. And because 
it is incredibly subjective and it's no way you can mash everyone's expectations together to come to a good place. So the system I actually use at our company is based on what I call a replacement cost, right? So, so if team member A was to leave the company today, what is my assessment as CEO in a smaller org, but over time, a committee's assessment of what would be the replacement cost of replacing this person? Is that less than 1x? So this person leaves, they can be replaced with someone who holistically costs less to come there. Might be cash, might be benefits, might be equity, might be the cost of hiring. Is that between 1 to 1.5x? Is it 1.5x to 2.5x or greater, right? And, and that's really what we ought to be measuring is, am I getting value back for this person, right? And are we net positive by spending time, resources, energy on having this person at the company? And, and my expectation of a free intern is very different from a 500K a year executive. And if someone's at 100K, that's very different versus 500K. And, and somehow compensation and cost doesn't necessarily always jive into this expectation right. scale. All the people might be at wildly different compensation, different locations, different, different sort of levels, et cetera. And so um, I think the obligation for every person is to at least pay back what the company's spending on them, right? So at least give me back that value. And, and everything top of that is aspirational and greater. If someone's not giving back 1x value, they shouldn't have the job. Right, right. Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I, I, I agree. And it, it runs consistent with another principle and premise that uh, 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 a good friend and colleague of mine, a, a very well-experienced CEO and, and uh, you know, multiple instances of taking companies, turning them around, getting them sold for higher multiples. And, you know, he, his focus has always been, actually, it's very similar to yours. He's not quite articulated it with the components that you mentioned, but what he, his bottom line was, it's value creation. You know, for each role, what value are you creating? And to extrapolate that, yes, I would agree. If the value you can help us create is not greater than what your all-in compensation and the cost of having you here, totally. why are we doing anything? <laughs> why, totally. why? And, that, and that value, unfortunately, in many companies gets tied back to a hard number or something can be measured, and which is why that value is targets, projects, or skills. So today, if someone runs, run, goes and learns prompt engineering for six months at our company and delivers nothing, that person's value is 2x of replacement cost if they're bloody good, right? And so the fact that we're going and picking up that skill for six months is actually massively valuable for the organization, but that doesn't fit typical goal frameworks. And yeah. so, and so how we measure each person's work also becomes critical so that we can effectively see where value is getting created versus the people who are playing visibility politics and taking advantage of eloquence bias and sort of taking on the shiny thing. Yeah. And, and all of the training on DEI will get people nowhere unless we change certain practices at its root 
which changes how we measure work, how we see people, how we then reward them. I agree with you. And as you said that on the DEI subject, I'm reminded of another episode we had last year. I had my guest was uh, very vehement. She she was a consultant that companies were hiring to come in and help them wrestle with the whole social injustice and all the Black Lives Matter and all the other elements of the DEI equation. And she said, everybody's got it wrong. People need to focus on this value contribution mm-hmm. and, and, and the way you, and she said, make DEI a business decision, not a, a psychological or emotional decision. Yeah. You know, one thing, one thing I've learned, and it's, it's been very meaningful for me being a founder, I, all, I never thought myself as someone who wasn't confident or, or wasn't scared, but as I went into fundraising conversations, built a company out, I think the self-doubt I had doing the work I do has been an incredible journey to go through. And if you're born in any minority race or gender or personality type, you don't learn the same confidence as the majority. And, and often that confidence affects what risks you take. And often that dictates what's value creates. And, and so a lot of the quote unquote training we should be doing is around confidence and taking risks. And if as a black kid in the US, if taking a risk means you might get shot, you're not going to take risk. And that gets ingrained pretty deep into you from pretty early on. And that stays with you. And so, you know, I, I think that it is incredibly important to think about culture and the impact of how society runs. But I think we often do the skim value of checking the box and doing virtue signaling than actually solving things at the core. And which is why I feel lucky that I go through my own journey and then I'm able to then turn it around and hopefully help others through that too. Yeah. Well, and, and I agree with you totally there. The thing that is at fault systemically in most companies is that check the box mentality about review and assessment. Yes. People see through it. The workforce sees through it. They, they know it's a necessary evil because somehow that equates to a merit raise or a bonus or, you know, an extra comp opportunity. And, it, it's just not a, a, a fulfilling and, and it's not on the plus side of the ledger for the job experience. I'll put it that way. Totally. What I'm always curious with an, with a solution like this, how do you enter into what are, what are some of the early discussions with a company? How, how do they typically unfold? Yeah. So, so one thing that we've taken bit of a, let's say, contrarian or a different approach on is that we think that the customer is the leader of an org. So anyone that runs an org, more than 30 people, is our customer. Everybody around him or her is a stakeholder, including HR. And so we will happily serve CEOs of a 50-person startup. We will happily serve VPs at Beyond Meat that run a 40-person org, and we, we actually do, we will, we will happily serve 
the MD of Asia of a larger company that that runs a part division. But for us, that leader's pain is the pain we're solving. And I can't solve that pain through proxy. So, you know, I I, I like sort of walking into orgs and feeling like a, like a doctor in terms of like what we can fix. Now, I can't go to IT or HR and and sort of do surgery on a patient through, through proxy. And so for us, we really believe that sort of working with the leader of the org, um, irrespective of, of function or size, is most important. And then showing transformation with that org as a proof point if that exists within a bigger company, right? So if it's a full company, it's a full company. But if it's a bigger company, then really running sort of a quarterly prism process to show how we can replace the old school systems. And, and literally every performance review is three forms, right? What this person did well, what they could do better, what goals did they achieve? So we can go and implement our own process and streamline that end to end. And people can copy paste the results from our work into whatever form they're filling in whatever system they're filling. And so, um, you know, we're very, very end user focused. And we believe that the only way we change this once and for all is by building products maniacally for the end user. Um, and, and so when you build for a functional user, you serve the functional user first, and that person has different needs versus the end user. Yeah. You know, I, I can't help but think, and <clears throat> I'm glad you spoke of that idea that if you're working with a leader that's part of a much bigger org, but his yeah. org is 30 plus, I um, had a, a chapter in, in my coaching working with a very large global brand who had a program. The, the CEO had a great vision. He basically challenged the company and said, you know, we're, we're a hundred plus year old company. We have too much of an old stayed bogged down in tradition, command and control. That's not going to be the environment that the generation of the next 20 years is going to want to work for. We need to change. And that change has to start now. So they embarked on a two-year study of things and evaluations of how to shape a new culture. Mm. They did a lot of work, spent millions and millions of dollars getting this thing implemented, training of managers and sharing with work teams, et cetera. And it, it, it started evolving and actually started taking root. And you could see nice little healthy blossoms coming up of positivity related to this initiative. 364 days into it, they execute their annual review process. And guess what? They hadn't modified that. And the artifact of the past, that system was a forced ranking system. Yeah, yeah. And that meant the person that had been doing all this wonderful work under the new framework, now out of a group of 10 people, there was a one through 10 ranking and 10 meant you were not good. That was the, it was the inverted ranking, you know, and, uh, um, but there was forced placing, so everybody fell in a bucket one way or another. And it's like, it just blew up the whole initiative. Yeah, it was no. like here we are back to the same old, same old, same old. And uh, to their credit, they have subsequently turned that part around and and embarked on a 
change of that too, but boy, right. talk about that's almost like ch- changing the the transmission out of a <laughs> out of a battleship, you know, to make that kind of a change. No, it's like when when companies go through digital transformation, it takes ten years, right? So it's like. It's the new things going to take ten years to implement. I'm like, well, if the things that good to transform you, it shouldn't take ten years to implement. Um, but unfortunately, people have different incentives on how they structure work and 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 how things evolve. And so, uh, you know, ultimately, we're all slaves to the incentives that we have. Um, and that goes back to how we assess and reward people. So unless that changes, you're not going to change behavior. And so, it very much needs to be holistic. Right, right. So what do you see as the journey begins with a company of implementing on loop? Uh, what are some of the, are there some recurring hurdles that you stub your toe on? Not you, yeah. but the company, the company. Yeah. So, so, you know, what we find is that people have different sort of existing strengths with regards to the five layers of the pyramid. What we typically see is that a company is good at doing celebrates, right? Like that's an easy muscle to to get going. Companies really struggle with improves and 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 constructive feedback uh, is really tough, and they struggle with goals. And but with celebrates is easy, sort of well being and getting that to a decent place is easy. And so what we do is we sort of run a twelve week program when we start working with a new customer, uh, and we sort of do a pretty high energy kickoff to get the org excited because getting the ICs and the org excited about why we're doing this is huge and and them seeing collaborative team development as a process that they run. And then we have a bunch of different habit farming targeted interventions that we run, including workshops and newsletters, including other sort of interventions to go build those muscles across the various layers. And then we will tweak that based on what we see in terms of data, in terms of how each org is evolving, uh, because our promise to the org is that we will drive you results um, and we will go build the muscles that are needed to then establish clarity across the organization. And, and if an org can do it on their own, great. If not, our customer success teams are great at um, sort of moving that to a place that's good because I don't want to be in the business of selling software for the sake of software, um, our, our job should be to drive an outcome um, and, and a product and a habit forming product is an aid to drive that outcome. And our product will keep getting better over time um, in driving that without humans. But in the meantime, we're here to help to go drive that outcome. So once these goals, tasks, and skills are identified, how is the ongoing data captured? Who who participates? Where does the input come from? Yeah, so on and so, so on. So so that comes. So so goals can be public or visible to a manager or to private. So if it's a public goal, actually everybody can contribute to it. So if you are trying to work on attention to detail then every time you do something good about it, others can celebrate you on that particular skill as well. If you're if you're working on a project, people can then capture towards that as an individual or a manager. So, so that's also very much a compounding always on process. And every capture you make in the app, be it a celebrate or an improve, can be compounded towards um, a particular goal. And we think a lot about what the various visibility layers are of what's visible to who to then dictate how things add up over time. Um, and so all of that today is through primary input. Today, we don't infer updates from 
other task management tools or from other comms platforms. People can make captures from email or Slack. But over time, what we'll do is we'll start working with products like Asana or Notion or Jira and then be able to infer what updates might be based on what's going on on the other platforms too. Because the way we look at it is that a manager needs to see a skim level, high level understanding of what's going on. They don't need to know every single cost management detail. So we'll let that get solved by the people who do that well. But over time, we'll bubble up or bring up the things um, that need to be unblocked or addressed at a, at a more higher level. And so, you know, because we have the clarity score in the app and we're testing that out now with a couple of teams, like as that evolves to give you a cleaner view of where to intervene, that forms the habit of, oh, actually, I haven't checked in on this high priority goal for two weeks. I should either work on it or put in a quick update. Um, and so the app helps you also keep track of what's going on across sort of various initiatives. So I, so I get the idea that each individual employee is going to sort of go in and report out on, the, on their own effort and their own observation of how and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But is there also independent input from other team members, peers, stakeholders, et cetera? Yeah, so so it's all it's it's 360, right? So um now for a particular project that someone's doing, the individual's probably better updating it. But for example, if someone's trying to develop a new skill, others can give feedback. Managers can also request feedback uh from folks. And so it can be both push and pull if there isn't enough diversity of data points uh to run it. And so when we run the prism review at the end of a quarter or a half. There's a self prism that's generated based on inputs the individual has, and then there's a manager prism that's generated based on the input that the manager has, yeah. and then that drives um, the right conversation. And so ideally, all things happen through push, but often improved feedback, for instance, doesn't happen through push. In that case, you need to request and pull it, and that can be from the individual or the manager. Got it. Well, very, very interesting. Well, Projal, we're about up on time here for this episode, but uh, thank you for sitting in and sharing this with us. Tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about this uh, pretty revolutionary way to guide development and uh, elevate team performance. No, thank you. So on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm Projal Khatak. So that's P-R-O-J-J-A-L. And my last name's Khatak. If you search for On Loop. Um, you should be able to find me as CEO. I'm also on projol at onloop.com. Uh, and if you go to onloop.com and press any of our CTAs, either me or someone from the team will get back to you for sure. Oh, that's great. Well, again, one last time, thank you for sitting in. This is uh, really an interesting body of work. And anyone that's been a manager of one of those orgs that you're talking about knows the pain of trying to figure this out and, and yeah. create objective analyses of of giving people feedback so they can develop and again assuming that's all in good spirit and you don't want to run your whole organization on on negative mm -hmm. uh, accountability reporting you know um it's so, carrots and sticks right it has to be a combination of both and right right and ideally carrots work but if carrots don't work sometimes you need sticks too absolutely absolutely 
Well, very good. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up. I uh, do want to take a minute. I always like to remind people that we've got a video version of this show over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there. And I real quick uh, want to make a short announcement about a new release of my latest book. Uh, oh, and I see my green screen's wiping it out. The uh, It's called the Exit Strategy Handbook. The word exit on the book is in green, and that's why it's getting wiped out by the <laughs> by by the image uh, point here. It's a book I put together in collaboration with some colleagues. We are the our heart was taking a look at business owners we know who are struggling to figure out an exit strategy. Then data tells us there's a huge phenomenon getting ready to happen. They're, they're calling it the largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind. Baby boomers are getting ready to cash out on the businesses they've built. And uh, it, it is a phenomenon that is ever present and growing. But uh, what my book does is give you a roadmap. There's about nine different options of what you might want to do in considering having that payday. It's not just about finding a buyer. There are other things you can do. And the, the book talks about that. So hop over to Amazon. It's called the Exit Strategy Handbook. And uh, you can grab a copy. And hopefully that'll help you in that long range planning for what you want to do with your business. So with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and wish you a great day. Go out there and make a difference. Thanks, Doug. Have a good day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.